Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and Luke Buxton. That means it's on the beat. InsideCarolina.com's uh, team of beat writers join me weekly here, and we've been doing these live. So if you're on YouTube, appreciate you joining us. Drop questions or comments in the uh, chat box there. Gregory will get them to us. He'll read them out, and, and we'll get them answered for you. If you're listening to Apple iPod or excuse me, Apple podcast, rate us, review us, subscribe, please do that. Also subscribe on YouTube, leave us a, a rating, what you like, what you don't like, what we can do better. Um, we will hear you. We will make changes. And finally, Johnny t-shirt and Johnny t-shirt.com sponsor them uh, because they sponsor us, help them. They need your help in these days. Uh, spring football is coming up. You know, you can always get your football gear. Baseball's going on. You can always get the baseball swag. And, of course, NCAA tournament is here. That's why I get these band of brothers together. I want to go to Greg Barnes first. Greg, you know, with uh, the COVID world and the bubble that is the NCAA tournament these days, Carolina got to Indianapolis, I guess, yesterday, which would be Monday. Uh, what is the process for the team for this week leading up to their game on Friday evening? As far as COVID goes, well, the they've cleared actually both hurdles now that we're we're talking here on Tuesday night. Uh, the way it works is you've got to have seven consecutive days uh, without COVID issues tests um, before you can arrive in Indianapolis. That's one of the reasons that Virginia, for example, uh, is not due in to Indianapolis until Friday. And they play Saturday. I I think they're in quarantine until Thursday in uh, Charlottesville. Correct. And then they can go to Indianapolis. And at that point, this is where it comes into play for for all these teams. Carolina arrived on Monday. And once you arrive in Indianapolis, after those seven consecutive days of of negative tests, you have to test negative the first day you arrive in Indianapolis and then the second day. So you have to test back-to-back times on separate days. So Virginia, for example, they're not going to get there till Friday. We'll test Friday. And then they got to test again Saturday morning before their game. Uh, so a lot of a lot of apprehension for the, the Cavaliers. But Carolina got in Monday. Uh, they started working out today. We saw that on social media, which tells me that obviously they didn't have any any issues. Uh, and you know, for example, Wisconsin is a, is ahead of schedule. Um, and the reason that is is because the Big Ten tournament was played at Lucas Oil uh, Stadium, and so all the Big Ten teams that were playing in the NCAA tournament just remained in Indianapolis. So Wisconsin went through their quarantine Sunday and Monday. And when I say quarantine, I mean quarantine. When the teams arrived in Indianapolis, and this goes for Carolina as well, uh, you go directly to your room, your individual room, and you stay there. And they bring food to your door and give you food that you can eat. 
That's how extreme this is. Um, and so it's, it's, NCAA is calling this a controlled environment. It's not a true bubble like what the NBA tried to do this summer. They don't have the means for that. I think they said there's like 2,300 people that fall within the tier one and tier two listings when you have 68 teams involved. That's just too many people to try to bubble all at one time. But they feel pretty confident about how it's set up. And apparently, like all these hotels where the teams are staying are completely blocked off. Like nobody can get in. Um, and, and if you happen to see North Carolina's social media post where they're lifting, there's a convention center where all these teams are, are staying. And within that convention center, they've set up a massive weight room so that once teams get through quarantine, they can actually go and get a lift in. Um, and they've set up 12 different courts within the convention center so that teams can go in and get quick, easy workouts while they're working through all these, all these processes. Wisconsin, for example, because they started the process on Sunday, they are actually going to be able on Wednesday night, go up to Mackey arena and Mackey of course is in West Lafayette, which is about 70 miles Northwest of Indianapolis where Purdue plays. Of course, that's where the game is Friday night. Um, so because they're a little bit ahead of schedule, at least in terms of being ahead of schedule in North Carolina, Wisconsin's, getting things rolling a little bit quicker. Uh, but we will finally get to talk to the Tar Heels on Wednesday. Uh, and so, so at that point, everything will be guns blazing and uh, North Carolina will be able to practice full speed and all those kinds of things leading up to the game on Friday night. Yeah, I saw – I forget which player it was, player on another team, maybe one of the Big Ten guys talking about, well, yeah, we're in our rooms and we can't leave. <laughs> they they knock and leave us food, and that's. <laughs> yeah, I think people really fail to understand what these players have gone through to get to this point. Right, and Tommy, I think that's an important part. Walker Kessler had to go through two of these quarantines early in the year, uh, both in the preseason. That's what he had to do. I mean, he was stuck in his hotel room for fourteen days twice. <laughs> it's not like he could go to and sit in the stands and watch his team practice. He was completely isolated for two 14-day periods. Regardless if the kid's a basketball player or not, could you imagine your kid being a freshman in college having to do that his first semester? I mean, that, that's brutal. That's, that's really tough. Yeah, and, and, you know, they don't want to screw it up. Any of the teams don't want to screw it up now here that they're at the end of it. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see some raging parties after this NCAA tournament is <laughs> over for these, these guys. I mean, I couldn't imagine. Uh, Luke Buxton, you think you could uh, quarantine for 14 straight days to get a, to play a little basketball these days? Oh, that's a good question. Probably not. But uh, if my team's in the NCAA tournament, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I mean, that's a crazy thing, right? Like you're having to balance not only focusing on your game, but also making sure that you don't get a virus that if you somehow get it, could potentially screw your team over and, and other teams over as well. So the stakes are as high as they've ever been. Gregory, I'll bring you into it. I mean, um, you know how college was like, you know how difficult it is to get acclimated to the college lifestyle. And like Greg said, Kessler had to do it. And now everybody is doing it. Who does it benefit? Who, what teams does this benefit in, in your idea um, going into this tournament? Is it all equal these days since everybody's done it? Is it the older teams? We've talked about the experience. I mean, does it matter at this point as far as the COVID protocols and all that leading into this? That's a tough one. I don't know if it, I don't know if it gives anyone an edge over another person. Um, I think the only thing maybe 
Greg, what was, is this similar to like what they had to do in Asheville for that, for like that tournament, as far as like being a hotel room and getting food delivered? Do you know? I don't think it was near that strict. Because like, that'd be the only thing with like the Maui tournament being moved to Asheville. And I think Bahamas was moved to what? South Dakota. And they canceled it. And then it didn't even happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I think that would be the only way that like maybe give some teams some edge, but that was a long time ago, regardless. And I mean, even with UNC, I mean, having fans back in the arena, they've kind of slowly gotten back to some sense of normalcy. Um, so I don't know if it really benefits anybody as far as um, getting there and everyone's just kind of doing the same thing and having to deal with the same thing. Um, so no, I don't really think it gives anyone an edge other than maybe veteran teams, just because guys who have been in the NCAA tournament before and understand what it takes to prepare Yes, they haven't done it in this situation, but they can kind of keep younger people like don't like we're here for a specific reason. This is what we're going to have to do. And so I think maybe teams that have veteran leaders that have been there before um, can maybe gives a slight edge. But even they haven't dealt with it, but they still know how to prepare um, and can kind of draw uh, all the negatives of like, man, we're really stuck here. This food sucks and all that stuff. So I think maybe only only those types of teams. It- that's interesting. I mean, it's a business trip for, I think, the older teams. I think the younger guys are still, you know, experiencing the tournament. Greg, let me ask you this before we move on from this topic. Suppose somebody gets infected. Somebody comes up during this tournament and has a positive test, whether it's Carolina or anybody. I know that they're forfeiting or they're calling it a no contest and their opponents advances, but what causes a team to do that? I know that it, you got to have five players. You don't even need coaches. But how do you – I mean, if a team's all together for practice and somebody tests positive, do they contact – I mean, how how's it going to work? What are those guidelines? Uh, that's a good question. Everybody's being tested every day. And I, I think when you look at, for example, the officials that all got booted, right? There were six of them. Roger Ayers was one of them. I think Teddy TV Valentine was one of them. Uh, they arrived, their rooms weren't ready. So the reporting goes and they went out to get some food and one of them got it. And so they're out. And so that's really what you're looking for is, okay, once you get them in this confined space, in this controlled environment, uh, the, there's a designated uh, team COVID specialist person and whoever it may be. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure who UNC is. But basically they're in charge of all communications between the NCAA and the team of how things are going to be handled and what's taking place. NCAA will tell teams, hey, there's a negative test or there's a positive test here. This is the protocol moving forward. Um, I do think one of the, the good things here is that the false positives, uh, those will be handled on same-day basis. So instead of teams having to wait, maybe wait a full day uh, to address what could potentially be a, a false positive, they're allowing them to do those I guess multiple times a day to, to try to clear it up. Say, okay, well, this actually is a false positive. We can move forward. But in terms of the protocol, I mean, it's, they're just going to be tested every day. And they, they provide a breakdown of, okay, here are the tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. And I'm tier four because I'll be in Indianapolis, but I'm media. Uh, fans will be team four, uh, tier four. I think family members will be tier four. And so basically, we're not supposed to have any contact whatsoever. Tier one is the team travel party. Uh, team two is like administrators and some different things like that that may have potential 
interactions with tier one, but there's pretty clear language. That's not supposed to happen much, if at all. And then tier three is kind of in between, I think some incidentally staff and some variety of people uh, that may have a fluke interaction with a tier two person. So they've got it li listed out pretty, pretty clearly. Um, but in, you know, how somebody would get it, you would just have to break protocol. That's the only way I, I know that you would be able to get it. We saw that in the NBA, of course, you know, a couple of guys went out for food and got it and that, that cost them some, some time. Uh, but they're, they're pretty strict the way it's set up in Indianapolis right now. And uh, they're, they're hopeful that once everybody gets in past that you know, deadline that was tonight, that everything should be moving forward pretty well. So here's an interesting add on. They're, the, they're taking PCR tests and the false positive rate is around 0.04%, which out of 3,200 tests is 1.28. Yeah. So let's say all of a sudden someone comes down with a false positive test. What's the protocol for that? Are they testing again or is it automatic seven, 14 day quarantine? I think that's where it gets really interesting is like you throw in all these different variables um, and it's not like you get a second chance. It's you're done. Back your that's bags, you're going home. Right. And that's why they're doing that false positive setup for same day. And they specifically did it for that reason, because mm -hmm. like you say, it is, if you, if you test positive, I mean, are you automatically done or are they going to give you opportunities that same day to retest to see, okay, all right, he actually is negative. This is just a false positive. So at least they're being uh, proactive in taking that approach. I think that's very wise. Give somebody a couple of chances to make sure this is not just a fluke situation before you pull the plug. It's like the Nick Saban Georgia game where he tested negative three times miraculously. I don't know who yeah. in Tuscaloosa <laughs> administered that test. Maybe they just went a little side of the nose, but right. we'll see. Uh, saliva in a cup. Um, yep. You know, NCANT, North Carolina ANT lost their chance at their tournament because uh, I think I heard they were false positives or whatever anyway i would think that if you do what you're supposed to do you stay in the bubble um and and don't do anything crazy then teams like greg said should be fine with this let's move on to this bracket and um joy powell called me out because i did not like that they stole you greg barnes for this coast to coast podcast on sunday um they did not ask ahead of time if they could have my number one guest no offense gregory and luke but it is what it is um, but so you talked to plenty about this bracket now that we're locked in and I don't remember you guys talking about it. Let's go around the room, see who thinks who's, who's, what's the hardest um, region. We always do that every year. Greg, I'll start with you. Who, who got the short end of the stick as far as regions go? I know a lot of people think the West is tough and it is. I mean, there's some really good teams in the West. However, a lot of people think that right am i what'd you say just, who thinks the he said the west is the hardest i like as soon as that was announced on sunday i was like west is like by far the easiest well the I west kinda, okay we can debate it but gonzaga's in the west and that's my champion so i think that's the hardest go uh, ahead greg i actually think the south is probably the toughest uh just because i think arkansas is really good i think ohio state is really good uh purdue i know has been a little bit hit or miss and of course villanova is missing Gillespie, uh, but I think there's some some really strong teams in the South, and I mean I I think whoever wins Carolina's game Friday night is going to give Baylor a test in the second round. Um, so I I, th I think the the toughest teams are probably in that as a as a collective. Um, but I mean there's I I think 
at the high level, and we can get into this in a little bit, but I think there are some really good teams at the one and the two and the three that'll, that'll make this thing interesting. But once you get past that, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of upsets. I think it's going to be a fun tournament. I just don't know if we're going to see any of the top line teams uh, get messed with. Yeah, I mean, you can throw three through 12 or 13 in a hat and shake it up, I think, for the most part. Yeah. I'm looking at these. I, you know, I don't understand some of the seeds, and it's been hashed and rehashed. Like we we've talked about, Wisconsin was a their metrics are awfully high, and they're nine. Um, but the bottom line is, you got to win six anyway. Luke Buxton, toughest toughest bracket. You know, I'm kind of with the South, but I'll, I'll give the Midwest and Rostein named it the um, I think Steak and Shake region, which I liked. I think it's interesting because you have a great Illinois team who seems to be one of the betting favorites outside of your top two, Baylor and Gonzaga, seem to kind of be that third team everyone likes. But who I really like is kind of these four, four um, the San Diego State's, I think is a really good team. West Virginia's a really good team. And, and I love Georgia Tech. I think Georgia Tech got absolutely screwed with the nine line. And I think they could provide a really interesting challenge to Illinois. I think Oklahoma State could go all the way to the Sweet 16 and provide another challenge to Illinois. I think West Virginia is good enough to provide a challenge to Illinois. So I think, like, you have a really good one seed, but then you have a lot of teams um, down the line who could eventually get to the Final Four out of that region. So I think that's kind of the one I'm, I'm looking forward to the most to see how it plays out. I think that's the upset bracket out of, um, out of everything I've seen so far. Gregory, I'll let you go in, even though you interrupted Greg to tell us that the West was the easiest. I mean, I just had to, because I don't know if the West is – I mean, I'm just looking at it, and I'm between the South and the Midwest with the East number three and then the West and the fourth. Just to Luke's point with the Midwest, I mean, if I'm Illinois, like I am i can't believe my 8-9 draw. I mean, you get Loyola Chicago and Georgia Tech, which are two very good defenses, and I think – that eight night game might be tougher than the UNC Wisconsin one. Um, obviously Wisconsin, like you said, their metrics are extremely high, but I mean, just watching Georgia tech play, I mean, they have veterans. Uh, they play tough defense. Jose Alvarado is one of the best in steel, like in steals in the country um, and just the way they play. And then you never really know with the Loyola Chicago team. Cause no one's really, I mean, I've never, I haven't watched them play. I um, mean, I know their records good and they come from a small conference, but um, I mean, Loyal Chicago, looking at metrics wise with Wisconsin, I mean, they're ninth in Ken Palm and they got the eighth seed. Wisconsin's 10th in Ken Palm and got the ninth seed. Um, so and that's tough. Cameron Crutwig, man. True. Only reason Loyola Chicago gets what you call it is Sister Jean or whatever her name is. I mean, that's a team that made its name on one tournament run. They got I mean, two seniors that played a good bit in that tournament run still on this team. Georgia Tech beats them. I mean, teams and haven't Craig, scored sixty points a game. No, I don't. I think it's going to be close. I mean, I have Georgia Tech winning that game, um, but then you got a four seed in Oklahoma State that, with Cade star power, they could go. But then they could turn around and lose to Liberty in the first round because Liberty plays that Virginia type pack line. Um, Tennessee, I don't know anything about Tennessee other than that they're in the SEC and they were good and they were highly ranked and then they kind of fell off. But then they're going up against an Oregon State team that's hot and just won the Pac-12 and is kind of playing like, all right, let's prove that we deserve to be here and kind of riding that high. And then Syracuse, like someone mentioned, if they get past San Diego State, it's hard to prepare for that zone in two days. So they could give West Virginia a run in the second round if they get through the first. And it's just like 
as far as looking through that bracket, I couldn't really be like, all right, yeah, they're going to go on because then Houston, who's, I mean, Houston's one of the best offenses in the country as far as efficiency wise. And then a stout defense, they have to play Clemson in the second round. Most likely if Clemson can pass Rutgers and that's another tough defense. So I don't know. I just think the Midwest is going to be a lot of fun and has a lot of teams that could, could wind up uh, at the end. And it probably will be Illinois just because I don't know, going with chalk seems to have been the move recently, but you never know uh, this year. Here's what I don't understand. How does, how does Georgia Tech end up with a nine line and UNC ends up with eight? It's you, they, Georgia Tech wins the head-to-head matchup. They finish higher in the ACC. They win the tournament. They have the player of the year. They've won eight straight. Am I missing something here? That's Let's a question. Let's take a look at the Greg. net, shall we? I mean, it's the, if we're going on the net and all those numbers, then this tournament looks completely different, right, Greg? Yeah, and I think, I think part of the issue here is Georgia Tech is behind North Carolina in the net. Uh, they had the same number of Q1 wins. Uh, fewer Q2 wins. I agree. I mean, Georgia Tech was the best team in the ACC in the last month of the season. But I think you also have to kind of look at a lot of this and talking with some some people that cover Wisconsin. They really felt that you know, Wisconsin was probably – should have been slotted higher than a nine. But that when you start looking at the strength of the Big Ten and that you have like a number two seed is Ohio State, number two seed is Iowa – Number one seeds Michigan, number one seeds Illinois. In terms of that seven to 10 range, you're very limited with where you can put some of these teams that deserve to get in. I mean, you don't want to put Wisconsin as a seven and Ohio State's your two, right? That goes into this conversation. You don't want conference teams to have to play each other. And when a conference like the Big Ten has so many teams in, so many good teams in, you do have to get creative. And so I have to wonder if some of that kind of came into play uh, with kind of where Georgia Tech's at, because you've, you know, while the Big Ten has a lot of teams at the top, the ACC has got a lot of teams kind of in that you know, seven, eight, nine range, right? Uh, with Syracuse and Clemson and Georgia Tech and North Carolina, uh, Virginia Tech. So uh, I, I think probably some of that played into it in terms of how they were trying to figure out where to where to slot people. Well, to that point, which. Yeah, it totally makes sense. But then you look at Gonzaga and who they put in their bracket. They put Iowa, who they beat by 11. They put Kansas, who they already played and beat by 12. They put Virginia, who they already beat by 23. <laughs> yep. Like, I, they put, like they're two, three, and four seeds they've already played. So, like, I saw that, and I didn't understand that at all. I thought that was quirky. Yeah, like, was put, like put someone else in there. Make them work for it. And I was like, like put in Ohio state, put someone like that. Um, if you're going to, like, I just didn't, and especially this year where region doesn't matter. Like, I don't, I just thought it was, I thought that was ridiculous. I mean, obviously having Gonzaga winning at all. And I think that just kind of confirmed it, that they're at least going to make the final four easier than any of the other one seeds have it. As far as like, that was my really like why the West I deemed easiest. Cause I look at it as a standpoint of how can the one seed move forward and they have to beat teams that they've already annihilated this season. Granted, it was a while ago, but I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah I mean, the NCAA tournament always does it. Go ahead, Greg. This is admittedly a stupid comment, but to Gregory's point there, region doesn't matter because everybody's in the same place. So I was hoping that maybe this would be the year that they would get creative and just have some hilarious like region names, right? I mean, just just go stupid with it. And, and <laughs> like what? The Mackey Arena I, region or something. I yeah, mean, I mean, just the yeah. NCAA. This look, it is what it is. It's a money grab, right? And they're yeah. going to keep their brands and all that stuff. 
let's look at it. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting matchup. So my son, one of his best friends, they're diehard West Virginia people. He is going to play golf at Moorhead State of all places. First round, West Virginia versus Moorhead State. That'll be an interesting battle. Who got screwed the most in the seating? Not Carolina-related, unless it is Carolina in your opinion. But, Greg, I'll start with you again. Which team has the most beef after looking at this bracket for a couple days on their seed line? Oh, gosh. That's a, that's a good one. Um, whoo. Let me look long and hard here because I don't I don't well, while you're thinking about it and I'll let you come back to it. Michigan State beat uh, see, three number getting... one seeds. Yeah. And they, they were playing pretty good there late. I mean, that's one that would you would think would kind of make sense. Um, because the like Oregon, are they a seven? Eh, I don't know. Is, is Florida a seven? Right? I mean, I, some of those are kind of questionable. Uh, but yet here you got UCLA and Michigan State playing in the first four. And the fact that uh, – what's his name, the Kentucky AD, who's the committee chair? Barnhart, is that right? Yeah, I think that's his name. He kicked Louisville out. Yeah, but the fact that he <laughs> even commented that that Michigan State UCLA is a heck of a way to open the tournament. And he yeah. said, oh, well, yeah, I'm saying it facetiously. I said, no, you weren't. Like, everybody knows you wanted a primetime matchup between two teams that are down a little bit, but they're big names, which is fine. Yeah. Just admit it, right? I mean, that's kind of my things. It's okay – to acknowledge that some of these, uh, some of these games are set up. I mean, you know, 2013, Kansas is number one, West North Carolina, number eight in Kansas's region in Missouri. I mean, but yeah, that was an accident. Come on, I mean, be honest about it. Well, I, I wish it. they would have done it more with since the regions are, you know, because uh, you know I always look at it like when I look at it Carolina related, I want to see them play different teams, teams that they don't play often. I mean, they've played Wisconsin a bunch over the last few years gonzaga like to gregory's point they're playing the same teams potentially that they've played already this year i like to see teams that would not normally match up and i thought we'd see more of that um or, or hopefully would see more of that with carolina's bracket than you know carolina's opening round game than normal since there were no region there were no pods nothing like that luke I was going to say, I love the Michigan State 11 line um, in terms of my bracket going to the upper echelon in, in terms of the ESPN rankings. I got Michigan State going to the uh, Elite Eight. Ooh. We got January, four, January, February, Izzo. They go have a big win versus Illinois. They then beat Michigan. They're hot. They get screwed on a seed line. They get Texas probably. And then, like, UConn, Alabama, I think it's beatable teams. I think that region of the bracket – where you have UCLA, Michigan, Texas, UConn, Alabama. That is exciting. That is what I'm paying attention to. My eyes are going to be glued to the TV for every single one of those games. But Ooh. I think I'm making my money on that bracket. I think I got every single. If I'm bracket. Bama, I'm I'm upset. I mean, I know they're yeah. a two seed, and they're not. They weren't going to be a one seed, and two seeds probably the best. But as far as like, I mean, first of all, they have to get past Rick Pitino. I know that's good. Like it's fifteen two, but like I don't know. You still have to play against Rick Pitino. Yeah. And and I own it, even though they're not a good, they might not be a good team, but like I don't know, there's still like potential. There's only happened eight times, which is kind of crazy. To I love whenever they put that out with like how many times the upsets have happened. It always I always feel like the 15 seed is one more, but they haven't. And I just I don't know. My brain always goes back to Middle Tennessee State. Um, 
beating Michigan State, but like I don't know. But then Texas is a very good team. I mean, Matt Coleman, look what he just did in the um in the championship game. So yeah, I like that. I like that part too. The down there. And that's the thing with teams like Alabama, and this kind of goes for Baylor a little bit too, is that because Bama, I mean, Bama shoots almost half of their shots are from behind the arc, which is crazy. And they're not the best shooting. I mean, they're like, you know, maybe right around 100 nationally in three-point field goal percentage. Um, and so when you're talking about a team like that that's so reliant on the three ball, um, they just have to have an off night. And, uh, you know, if – if you get going and you start making them, we saw what happened, you know, with Auburn and Carolina a couple of years ago. Uh, but it can go the other way too. And so that's what I, I do think they're liable. They're, they're in a situation where if they catch somebody on a, on a good night and they're not making threes, they're very susceptible to an upset early. Yeah, let me uh, take a break here because I got a comment about that. And it's relevant to Carolina's uh, future given who they might play in the second round. But let's talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Of course, they're great sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina, and therefore great friends of you, the Inside Carolina subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, you need to do it 10% off all your Johnny T-Shirt orders, baseball gear, football gear, tailgating gear, home gating gear. Uh, you know, they've got everything. There's probably some things around this man cave that came from Johnny T-Shirt. In fact, I know there are. Um, and, and they sent it right to my house. I didn't even have to go see them. So take your time right now during this podcast, while these national ads are playing, order something from Johnny T-Shirt. Use that IC code and get 10% off. Take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back with On The Beat Live. Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton, and Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back on the Beat Live, InsideCarolina.com podcast. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton. Greg, to your point, right before the break, you were talking about teams that can get hot or cold, um, and it changes the game. So what I do, and I want to get y'all's advice on how to pick these brackets, I look for teams that can win even if they don't shoot it well. Yep. And uh, I think Carolina's one of those if they don't turn it over so much. But who are the other big names – um, Greg, in your opinion, that can win ball games if they do not shoot it well. I'm not sure Alabama's one of them. I think Baylor might be. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah both those teams are good defensively, which kind of helps, and that's one thing you look for. Uh, but Alabama's is so reliant on that three ball. I mean, it's 47% of their shots are three-pointers, which is crazy. That's um, asking for an early upset. It is, yeah, it really is. Um, and, you know, Iowa's kind of that way. When – 
when North Carolina played Iowa, I think Iowa made 17 threes and they were lights out, but yet Carolina hung around and it wasn't, you know, a blowout by any stretch, even though Iowa was on the fire. And that's because they're, they're not very strong defensively. So if the shots aren't falling for a team like Iowa, then they're susceptible. Um, so really you're looking for teams that are very, uh, very good defensively or that can rebound. And I know a lot of people kind of look down on a team uh, like Houston because they're in the American and, you know, the resume is not that, that strong. Uh, but, I mean, they're number one in the country in effective field goal percentage defense. And, yes, they're not in a major conference. They're really good defensively. Um, and they take a ton of threes, uh, and they, they shoot a pretty good percentage from there. But I think even if they're having a little bit of an off night, I like them better than I like an Alabama. Um, and then, of course, Gonzaga I don't think is the best defensive team. Uh, but I think they can afford to have an off night shooting because they're so good. Their off night is still better than most teams' good night. And so that, that's the team I think is just so far and away better than a lot of these other ones that even if, they're, even if they play their, their B game, they're going to win most of these games, at least get to the Final Four. Luke Buxton, give me a dark horse out of each region. Nah, I don't do that because that's too much work. Give me a dark horse. Uh, you got Michigan State going to the Elite Eight, which is a – I'm not sure that's a terrible pick. I'm not sure I'd do it, but give me somebody. Is that, is that your team? Is that the one you're going to ride to the top of the bracket challenge? So I got two – Two big upsets. It's it's Michigan State, and again, I'm I'm still on Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight line. I, I don't. I'm I'm looking at the Alabama Michigan State Sweet Sixteen matchup, and I'm going back and forth. So they're one. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Georgia Tech is two. Georgia Tech is a bunch of dogs. Dogs win tournament games. DeVoe, Moses Wright, Alvarado, Usher. Those guys play, and I love it. I think they're a great style. I think they're a great disruptor in the NCAA. I have them beating Illinois. And then my last one is Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech has the potential to beat Arkansas uh, and then knock off Ohio State. That one's still uh, up for debate between uh, that Elite Eight matchup. But I think if in those three regions uh, you have those teams and Gonzaga's going through. You know, no question about it. I'd put my house on it. They're not – they're getting to the Final Four. Gregory Hall, go ahead, man. The winner of the Georgetown-UNCG game, I think will give Michigan a extremely tough matchup, and that's me picking Georgetown over Colorado and UNCG over Florida State. Um, I'm excited for that UNCG-FSU game just because FSU, I mean, they're a turnover machine right now. I think they kind of got – I, I wasn't expecting them to get a four seed. Um, I know they beat Carolina and got to the ACC tournament game, but they only, I mean, they only had to win one game based on their uh, buys to get there. Um, but I don't know. I was watching UNCG play in the SoCon and I love Isaiah Miller. I mean, that kid, that kid can play. Um, and so I also like LSU in that too, just because, I mean, LSU gave Bama and run for their money. And um, that kind of, I think, gave them some confidence to go in if they can get past um, St. Bonaventure and take on Michigan, um, I think that's another team that could go go pretty far. Um, and then, like Luke said, I love Texas Tech. Uh, Mac McClung, another star power. Uh, he could just – he can ball. Um, and you need that that veteran leadership that can kind of take over a game and guard plays as important like we, we, we know it is. Uh, I don't really have a dark horse in the West. Um, if I had to pick one – it would probably be USC with Evan Mobley. Um, I mean, he's good, but I don't know if they can get past Iowa. 
And then probably Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham. Uh, either them or San Diego State, um, just because I their defense is really good and can can force teams to struggle, kind of like UVA um, when they get hot and things like that. So, yeah. Did you just yawn right there in our podcast? No, I, I had like a multi-stutter, and I was trying to focus, and I looked up. It was a not-my-finest, not-my-finest moment. Thanks for okay. pointing that out. That's oh. a uh, quality, quality move there. Uh, one thing I want to point out is we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but I want to expand on it. Um, when you look at kind of the top three seeds of each of these regions, I think they're all pretty good teams. But when you start looking at the fours and the fives, I think there's a ton of potential for a lot of upsets there. I mean, I already mentioned you know, Gillespie's out for Villanova. Fulkerson's out for Tennessee. Uh, Purdue's been a little bit hit or miss down the stretch. I think Creighton lost three of their last six. Virginia, as we've talked about, not even getting to Indianapolis until Friday. They've been in quarantine all week long. Um, who else we've got? Florida State. I mean, Colorado, I don't think that good. Florida State. I mean, I love them. And I think they have the potential to get to the Final Four. But to Gregory's point, I mean, they have been a disaster taking care of the ball um, for several the, weeks now. But they are dogs, too. You they are. Georgia Tech, those guys, Florida State will get after UNCG like nobody has all year. Right. And um, that's why I've got I – mean, I've actually got them in the Elite Eight. Uh, but that's – that I fully am aware that they could easily lose the UNCG if they turn it over 20 times. Um, so a lot of those teams are kind of enigmas, or at least they've got some injuries – that kind of make them a shell of what they once were. So I think the, the fours and the fives, those are going to be the games to watch out for, especially first first two days. All right, last question before we talk Carolina, Wisconsin, and Carolina specifically. Uh, Gregory, I'll go back to you first. Biggest upset in the tournament? One game. Give me give me one. Let's go biggest upset in the first round. Biggest upset in the first round? Yep. Um, probably – UNCG, 13 over four. Um, I don't think it gets – I don't see any – or either that or Ohio over UVA. Um, I don't know. I just – just watching the ACC all season, I do not trust the ACC at all. Like, I saw a stat that they haven't had a losing record as, like, as a team league in forever. And, like, potentially it won't happen, but potentially I could see all seven teams losing in the first round. Like I see that I can like just looking at the matchups. So I don't trust the S the ACC at all. Um, so yeah, I think that I don't really have any bigger upsets than that other than maybe Oregon state over Tennessee, um, Georgetown, Colorado to Greg's point with the four and fives. I think all the four and fives are susceptible outside of maybe Oklahoma state. Yeah. Um, in my the, opinion. And the thing people don't realize with Oklahoma state is if Cade Cunningham wasn't on that team, they're still good. Oh, no, yeah. Like, it's kind of like when um, – with Illinois, with Tasunmu, when he went out, like, they still went three and one. Yep. Um, so, even – yeah, it's those teams that have the star power, but then if their star power goes away, they can still still win ball games. And to your point, Oklahoma State's definitely one of those teams. Luke Buxton, biggest upset. You were not feeling Gregory Hall's uh, Florida State upset. Of yeah, the yeah, they're season. not – they're not losing. I don't um, think you understand what Isaiah Miller brings to the floor. Have you watched him? They're not losing. Again. When he, not, he's I mean, six Florida feet State's tall, he's <laughs> six feet tall, and laying the ball up is not an option. He goes up for blood 
every time. It's awesome. I love watching. Give me, give me uh, international seven footers. Give me MJ Mm -hmm. Walker. Give me Scotty Barnes any day of the week. They're not losing. I would say the biggest one. I got a twelve-five to dogs. My Georgia Tech (laughs) team. Come on now, like it all makes sense. Um, Give me, give me my favorite show growing up was Psych. It took place in Santa Barbara. I'm taking Santa Barbara over Creighton. Awful loss to George, uh, Georgetown in um, their conference championship. Uh, Santa Barbara has three players scored double digits. Team full of upperclassmen. Finished 15 and three in the Big West. I think it's every year 12-5 upset happens. You look across the board, uh, maybe Villanova. I don't think Villanova is that great, but I think Santa Barbara is the the 12-5 pick of the tournament. It was interesting watching when they were showing all those different upset games, like you know the five twelves and the you know all that stuff. It's not, it doesn't happen as much as you think, but it seems like it happens every year. Uh, Greg Barnes, biggest upset in tournament. Yeah, you know that the twelve five is the funny thing. I've actually got three twelves beating fives, but I actually don't have the one that Luke just pointed out. Um, I've got Creighton winning over Santa Barbara mainly because Santa Barbara, uh, they are good and they're veteran. They don't take many threes. And I, I really feel like for some of these lesser teams that to score some upsets, you've got to jack up a bunch of threes and make them. And I think that's kind of the formula in recent years. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, you without Gillespie, I think Villanova is a shell of what they were. Um, Winthrop, I don't know that they're great, but I think you if they get some shots to fall, they can they can win there. Um, who else? Like Oregon State, you played pretty good. Fulkerson's not playing for Tennessee. I think that's a pretty easy one to pick. And then Georgetown looked really good in the Big East tournament. Um, I'm not impressed with Colorado, so that's that's one that I had. So that's that's three twelves. I've got a couple. I think I got one eleven, one ten, winning two tens, winning. So I think there's going to be some some fun days, some some good games to watch. Uh, first two days. What so, tens do you have winning? Which tens do I have? Let's see. I got Maryland winning, uh, and I've got Virginia Tech winning. Okay, I only have Virginia Tech. Uh, most vulnerable or, or first number one seed to lose? Michigan. Michigan. Luke. Michigan. Michigan. It could be LSU. The way they played in the SEC final against Alabama, they look fantastic. Uh, it could be Florida State. UNCG. It could be could be Georgetown. It could be UNCG. It could be Michigan State. I, come on. UNCG there's so many options. would be awesome. You name it. It. Be great. Yeah. yeah. Give me, give me Wes Miller. All day, except for against Florida State. <laughs> give you West Miller all day, but Florida State's winning. <laughs> well, so, so I got a question, Luke, or no, Gregory. West Miller makes a run to the Sweet 16. Uh, does he cement his uh, role in replacing Roy whenever Roy decides to hand it? Hang um, it up. Let me let me pull up this. Uh, somebody somebody tweeted something. <laughs> if you're today. not on YouTube watching this, you're missing some reactions. Where is it? I'm trying to find this tweet that someone put out about the path for West Miller to wind up at UNC. It somebody involves going to Baylor. That, yeah, I wouldn't go to Baylor if my life depended on it. No, no disrespect. Baylor's good, and Carolina may find out that uh, in a few days. But I wouldn't go to Baylor if I were him. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. It's just. I mean, to like Roy said, he's got a contract to 2028. So, yeah, he's not going anywhere. I think right. West needs to go to a bigger job and have success. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. What I mean, well, who's your Tommy? You didn't answer. Who do you think your biggest upset is? I mean, I I kind of like Colgate to be Arkansas. That game's going to be a lot of fun. Just because it's going to be a. a 
high possession game and all that. Um, my thing is when I look at this and I have not yet picked my bracket, as like I said earlier, I look for teams that can win in dog fights, you know, and, and I look for teams that have key injuries. That's one thing I don't understand. I thought Alabama was going to steal the number one seed from Michigan just because of livers. If livers is out and I, yeah. you know, that's a completely different team. He killed Carolina in the Bahamas uh, last year and he's done it when he's healthy. Well, and they rely on Hunter Dickinson down low, but he can completely disappear. I mean, Illinois beat them by, what, 22 without Dasunmu? So, yeah, I don't trust Michigan at all. There's a reason I had two teams versus the field, though, and the disappointment comes that one of those two teams is playing against North Carolina. That being said, let's talk about Carolina's uh, first-round game, Greg. Uh, you, you mentioned talking to some Wisconsin people. You know, everybody talks about Wisconsin is in the Big Ten. This is a tough turn, a tough league. The Big Ten this year probably as good as Carolina. Uh, excuse me, the ACC in what ninety five? Is that when the ACC was ridiculously good? They had Maryland and um, Wake Forest with Tim Duncan and all those teams. At any rate, Wisconsin didn't beat any of those teams. They went Owen for whatever against the top level of the Big Ten. So what's Carolina need to do besides the obvious don't turn it over? I mean, how does Carolina win this game against a, a Big Ten team that everybody, you know, says plays Big Ten basketball, if you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, Wisconsin, kind of their, their key to success. They're not a great shooting team, but they're a pretty good three-point shooting team. And they don't turn the ball over. Um, and when you do those things and you control tempo – that that sets in motion some issues for North Carolina. Um, Wisconsin takes a similar approach to Tony Bennett and that when a shot goes up, one of the reasons they're not a good offensive rebounding team is they send a couple guys back and that eliminates any kind of transition. And so where North Carolina has to have success, and they've done this pretty well the last couple of weeks, is to get into the passing lanes and be able to create some live ball turnovers. If North Carolina can do that, I think they win this game. If Wisconsin is, is uh, very careful with the ball and they don't commit any turnovers and they're able to get some good looks and knock down some shots, it's going to be a long day for Carolina. But I think the fact that even though Wisconsin has some big guys, uh, they you, uh, what's his name, Micah Potter, uh, he's a kid who likes to kind of leak out and be a perimeter shooter, which can be an issue, but he's, he's kind of a stretch four type player. Uh, and you know, against North Carolina, if Carolina is able to pound the ball inside, uh, that, that's tough to defend. And so I, I think if Carolina, to your point, Tom, it's, it, we've said this all year long, but it's the truth. If they don't turn the ball over, if they pound the ball inside, if Armando Baycott shows up, and if Kerwin Walton hits a couple threes, I don't see Wisconsin being able to win this game. I agree with that. And that's, it sounds simple enough. Yeah, Carolina. right. Just don't give it away. And the, <laughs> the good thing about Wisconsin is they're not going to force you if you're giving it away against a team like Wisconsin, you are just giving it away because yep. they're not they're not going to be that team that takes it. Now, the second-round matchup is going to be a different animal. Uh, let's talk about Anthony Harris since Gregory brought him up in the slack. And uh, Dewey Burke talked about him a fair amount on the postgame podcast the other night and then he also in his mailbag uh, mail that Ross Martin puts together on InsideCarolina.com. I think Harris is definitely a key – uh, my question is, how much did he learn from his mistake against Florida State? But your thoughts on him really assuming the, 
for lack of a better way of putting it, the Andrew Playtech minutes for this team. Yeah, and with Anthony Harris and what I kind of have seen Roy using him as um, recently is he is kind of coming in when he's noticeably frustrated, Roy that is, with Caleb or RJ's defense, um, or Leakey's for that matter. Um, he kind of slots Anthony Harris in um, to try to come in and be that defensive spark. And even um, against Florida State, I mean, he was trying to be the guy to take shots and be aggressive. Um, and so I don't know. I don't see him getting more than 10, 12 minutes a game, but he can be the guy that can kind of settle everything down, especially in the Wisconsin game, because Wisconsin wants to play slow. And so the team that's going to dictate the pace will win the game. Um, and so if Wisconsin comes out and UNC lets the game, the tempo be slow early, that could lead to Caleb turning the ball over some and get frustrated. And then if he doesn't make up on the defensive end, which is kind of what we've seen out of Caleb, right? When he's turning the ball over, he can come back and make some good defensive plays. And there's even the other way. If his shots are falling, he might not get back on defense. If he does that, either of the two scenarios, I could see RJ taking over at the point because um, he's been – he's really elevated his game recently. And that's when Anthony Harris can step in and be like, all right, I'm going to get some stops defensively and kind of settle things down. That's where, that's what I see his role, his role being. You got to end every possession in a shot. And I heard y'all talk about it on coast to coast, Greg, and I've been saying it all year with the way this team is Luke uh, Carolina's key. Which backcourt guy is going to be key for North Carolina pick one against Wisconsin. Yeah, I would say Caleb for two reasons. One, it's can he limit Demetri Trice, right? He's their best player. He's, you know, their point guard, their scorer. Can he, one, limit his three-point shot, but also just ability to dish the ball and make things happen? I think his on-ball defense is going to be number one priority. I think two is can he hold on to the ball? Can he run the offense? Can he limit turnovers? And three is can he knock down the occasional outside shot? If UNC can – you know, I think what Greg says is right. Like death taxes, UNC is going to rebound the ball and score inside. I think that's a given. It's going to be can Wisconsin, you know, hit shots and can Carolina hit shots from outside. And if you can, you know, it doesn't have to be a total swing and UNC doesn't have to shoot 40%. Wisconsin doesn't have to shoot 33%. If Carolina can just kind of hit around that 36 and limit Wisconsin to what they're doing, which is around like 36, 37. I think Carolina wins this game easily, but if they can't handle those guards and they're able, as you mentioned, they got four guys who can shoot from outside. They're all hitting and Carolina can't limit that. It's done. So I think it all starts with, with Caleb's defense on uh, Trice and which is also interesting what Gregory mentioned with uh, Anthony Harris. Can he come in if we can play um, or if UNC can play really tough on ball defense on Trice with Caleb and circle RJ and also play tech and also Anthony and make it really difficult on him. They have the personnel and the depth to do it. So I think it's all about execution at that point. You muted. It'll be up to Armando Baycott. Um, I know you asked about backcourt, um, but it's just the impact that he has kind of down low about like, because I'm looking at who Wisconsin goes to usage rate wise. And um, Micah, Pot Micah Potter, their starting center, is at the top of that with taking nearly 30% of available shots when he's on the floor. And then second is Nate Ruvers or Roivers, however you pronounce his name, which is the backup center. So if Armando and Dayron and Garrison and Walker, but really Armando can kind of set the dictate, look, 
I'm going to go at you and get them in foul trouble. Then that's going to, I think kind of be like, Wisconsin's like crap. This is the one thing we didn't need to let happen was foul trouble. So I think that's going to also play a huge role. And then the other end, as always, UNT can't miss 15 free throws. So. Yeah. All right. I've, I clicked the uh, mute button. So I'm, I apologize for that. I, I think I need to caution while we all think, well, it seems like we all think Carolina is going to win this game. Um, Wisconsin, while they didn't win the games against the big teams in the big 10, they had some pretty close games. And if you look just the last couple of weeks, they lost to Illinois by five. And Illinois, for me, has taken over the role as the second-best team in the country behind Gonzaga. Lost to Illinois by five. Lost at Purdue by four. Lost at Iowa by four. And then lost to Iowa in the Big, 12, Big Ten tournament by five. So even though they've lost those games, they've been very competitive against some of the best teams in the country. And I, I think there's value in that. Yes, you know, if you're a Wisconsin fan, you would love for them to be able to win a couple of those games. We had those conversations about Carolina, right? I mean, <laughs> if you look at what Carolina has done against the NCAA tournament teams, they've got a win over a four seed, and then the next best win is what? A win over a 10 seed? 10 seed and 11, and those yeah, are only three. That's right. So, um, yes, that's, I think Carolina – Right. I think Carolina wins this game, but Carolina is going to have to play well. And uh, they're going to need some breaks to go their way with Wisconsin. This is really just looking at it on paper in terms of matchups. Carolina has an advantage, which is why I have them winning this game. But this is not going to be an easy task for them. I love how the only common opponent is Louisville, and both teams beat them by 30. <laughs> yeah. Well, they beat the, yeah, the doors off of them. I mean, yeah, Wisconsin's. So but you know why that is? Louisville was coming that? off pauses in both of those games yeah. 18 days before <laughs> Wisconsin, 19 days before Carolina. I mean, just like UNC, Wisconsin's biggest win, highest seed is over the Loyal Chicago early in the season. <laughs> and then they beat uh, Rutgers and Maryland, who are what? They're both 10 seeds, right? Yeah. So, but to your point, I mean, yeah, being competitive in those games is huge, but eventually just losing to all those big games wears down on you and subconsciously be like, man, we just can't get over the hump against in, in big games. But then that's where veteran leadership comes in and they have that being what I think they're like the 20th oldest team by like average year. So let's talk about that because yes, they have experience and I think Baylor's kind of in the same boat, but there wasn't an NCAA tournament last year. So how much does that factor in when, you know, it's not like these guys all played together last year in the NCAA tournament. Nobody did. Um, And so does that, does that take away some of the value of that experience considering this is the first tournament in two years or Am I making too big of a deal about that? No, I think it's valid. I, I think my question is how valuable is actual NCAA tournament experience versus being in the dogfights that they've been in? Right. I mean, they've been in the wars nonstop this year in, in the Big Ten. Where do you weigh that versus that NCAA experience? You know, I, you give me old guys every day of the week in the NCAA tournament. But they got old because they played four years of regular basketball as well. So that's what gives me pause. Uh, they've Carolina's size is going to be an issue, but they've they've gone against size. They've had to battle against Luca Garza, you know, three times this year or whatever. They've had to go against that stuff. They 
So, uh, you know, I think Wisconsin's like the old grizzled battle tested veteran uh, that gets in the boxing ring. Right. And you got the guy you, you think is going to come in and overwhelm you. And then they end up throwing up some old sneaky tricks and wearing you out. I, I don't know. I, I don't like the matchup for North Carolina. I, mean, I would disagree with, with you on the take in that I think these close losses, I mean, they lost, what, last nine of 14, six of eight. I think that wears you down. I remember UNC last season. They were putting up fights against good teams. And you go in the locker room, and I remember Cole one time being like, I don't know what we do. I don't know where we go. I don't know how we win these games. And I think that kind of showed throughout the season. It was they didn't know how to win those close games. I get they're against a lot better teams in North Carolina. But I think where North Carolina finished the season versus where Wisconsin finished the season matters. I think that swings in the Tar Heel favor. So the headspace, yes, the, the headspace yeah. matters most to you. Yes, I think Wisconsin will help that they've played better teams. I think the idea of playing better teams prepares you uh, better off than how you know North Carolina strength schedule. But I do think the way teams end the season, and I'd love to see statistics because I don't know the actual facts, but just in my opinion, I think that matters. Lou, you brought up Louisville being the common opponent, but both teams lost to Marquette also, by the way. I just pointed that. I just saw that. Tommy, to your point about NCAA tournament experience, I mean, I'm looking at Wisconsin's last games. Um, In 18-19, they were a five seed, and they lost to Oregon in the first round. Um, In 17-18, they didn't make the tournament. In 16-17, which is probably the last – like with the seniors, it was kind of the last win they had. They made the sweep 16 for the fourth straight year. Um, but since then, lost, didn't make the tournament, didn't have a tournament. So, I mean, UNC is not much better, but. The tournament um, experience a wash. Yeah, exactly. But, for both teams. But you've got, you know, 22, 23-year-old guys. Anyway, it's, I don't like the matchup for North Carolina. Um, and then the second round matchup. Yeah, we won't Baylor's talk about dangerous. that one. Yeah, the the issue with Baylor is for them forty one point eight percent shooting from three. Yeah, That's and right. you got six of them <laughs> that can do uh, it. Jared Butler, Macy Teague. Scott Drew is two and six for single digit seeds with a margin defeat of thirteen point two points per game. That's a stat. That's a heck of a stat. I wonder, you know, how many times have it have they been like a a two or a three seed in those situations? Don't eight. Stats, yeah, stats really. The question is, <laughs> <stats, right? laughs> like he pulled it out. Okay, don't psychoanalyze. At the <laughs> Wisconsin press conference today, it was funny. Somebody asked Greg Gard about your Roy's 29 and 0 in the first round. What do you think that is? And he's like, he's had a lot of good teams. Like, you know, when you're a one seed or a two seed, most of the time, you're going to win a lot of those games. Yeah. How many yeah, times has Roy been an eight or a nine in those games? Well, the last uh, time he was, was what? Once? Villanova. 2013. And then wins Villanova and then puts up the. Great first half performance versus Kansas and then falls apart. So it's been but, six a couple times and has been never been a seven. And then what was the eight? He's never yeah. been below a nine as like a head coach ever, right? Yeah, he, he was. I'm trying to think. Was he a nine at Kansas? I know he was at least an eight. Okay, I think I he was know. a nine once okay. at Kansas, but he's never been 10 or lower. And this was like the one year that that was a possibility. But then they obviously have played well down the stretch to earn their, yeah. earn their eight. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting matchup. You know, like I said, Carolina, and I think we've hit on it on this show, and I hope our listeners realize Carolina's going to have to play well. You know, it's not going to be a walkover. Um, if they come out and they play bad, they are going to be done in an NCAA tournament at about 9.15 on Friday night. 
Last question for you guys. Final four. Gregory, go. I have Gonzaga. I have Texas. I have Illinois. And I have Baylor. Damn, son. We're like kindred spirits. That's mine. I'll go ahead and free All four of them? Yep. Let's go, Tommy. Come on. Well, you know, if Michigan – If Michigan was healthy, I'd go chalk for the first time and win. 2008. Yeah. So, Luke, final four. Gonzaga, Florida State, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Interesting. We need to write these down. Somebody write these down. Greg, uh, Greg, what you got? Yeah, to your point, Tommy, like three weeks ago, I had all chalk. Um, And because of some of the issues that the Michigans had, I've had to remove them from the mix. Uh, but actually, they, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of digging the Big Ten this year. So I've got Gonzaga, uh, Ohio State, Illinois, and I'm having a hard time between Florida State and Texas. Um, so I'll, I'll say Texas just to make Sherell happy because I think he's a big Texas fan this time of year. But I got uh, Gonzaga beating Illinois for the title. Congratulations, so you, Mark Few. I mean, that dude, you know. They, he deserves it. Absolutely. So you got Oklahoma, or excuse me, Ohio State beating Baylor or beating Carolina in the Elite Eight, Greg? <laughs> uh, I've got Ohio State beating Baylor in the Elite Eight. <laughs> it's going to be a wild tournament, but I think ultimately it's going to be who we expected in the end. So we'll see what happens uh, when they get there, assuming if they get there. I think they will, though, as we discussed. The COVID protocols are solid. If you screw it up, it's your own fault. If you're a team that gets an uncontested uh, – out of the NCAA tournament, look in the mirror, not at anybody else. It's been on the beat podcast, Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton. We've been live on YouTube as well. Appreciate you joining us. Um, if you didn't listen to us live, hope you're enjoying the podcast. We'll be back again soon. Thanks boys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. brought to you by Johnny t-shirt.com where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.